Welcome to the Weekend Sober with Kim and Ketsia. I'm Kim. I'm Ketsia. As moms in our early 40s, we each struggled with alcohol for the majority of our adult lives. We both randomly stopped drinking at around the same time in November 2020. We didn't know each other back then, but we eventually met through the Sober Instagram community. On our podcast, we talk about how our lives have healed due to the growth we've experienced in sobriety. We share stories of motherhood, marriage, and friendship, and chat all about life without alcohol. We also enjoy talking with a variety of guests about their experiences with getting sober. We're so glad you're here. This week on the podcast, we welcome Dr. Rachel Seiko Adams. She is a research associate professor at the Department of Health, Law, Policy, and Management at Boston University School of Public Health. She shares all about some really notable studies that were recently published, um, all about addiction, and we discuss mommy wine culture and all the things. So we feel this is a really important conversation, and we're excited about it. What I love about having you on here is that we've never had someone who actually like is somebody of authority and knows like what they're actually talking about. I feel like we're always just like, so what do you think about this? I don't know. We should probably look it up. You know, like you are legit for once. We have someone who knows what they're talking about. Um, We have like, yeah. And you're a doctor. (laughs) You're like, you have like your PhD. I'm like, I sound so stupid. I sound like a valley. Oh, yeah. like, oh my God, you're a doctor. Um, but no, seriously, it's actually, um, you're like the authority in everything that we actually talk about. You're like the authority in mommy wine culture because well, you published a paper yeah. on exactly what we talk about, which is very cool. Um, right. Thank it's like you. It's like all together. Um, so yeah. What is your actual title? Like you are an alcohol researcher, right? So, yes. So thank you. My title is research associate professor. I'm a research associate professor at the Boston University School of Public Health, and I'm in the Department of Health, Law, Policy, and Management there. I think um, we all have our caveats, right? So I'm, yes, I have my PhD, so you you can refer to me as doctor, although you don't need to do that today. But I'm not a clinician. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a social worker. I'm not someone who sees clients or patients myself. Um, but I have been doing um, research in the substance use area and specifically alcohol for 15 years now, at least. Um, and I'm also a mom to two um, daughters who are 11 and seven. So I came to this topic sort of, you know, because I was studying alcohol and um, the potential harms of alcohol and long-term risks. And then I became a mother and started paying attention to different influences about alcohol that seemed to be all around, all around us. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about this, this area of what we call mom wine culture, even though that's, that's a big term and it kind of means a lot of different things and not everybody's sure. I'm not sure we all think of it in the same way, but I've been thinking about it for a long time and it's been, it's, it's really been, I would say a passion project of mine to sort of be able to study this topic. Um, over the past several years, I've found ways to do that with other amazing researchers and it's, it's something I'm really passionate about. 
That's awesome. Tell us how how you've studied it and exactly what. Um, so you, obviously, you just said that you became interested in it when you became a mom. This this idea, um, but how do you even go about studying this? You know, it's it's from our perspective, we talk about it passionately all the time. And we have obviously firsthand experience. Um, so, you know, we understand it. And so you don't have to explain what it is to us because we have lived it. We get it. So how do you, as a researcher, how do, how do you even begin to study something like this? Yeah, I, th- I think the beginning of it was just actually just noticing that we weren't studying it. And that was like a big thing to realize that I'm in this large field of really strong and smart alcohol researchers in our country and internationally, uh, but specifically in the U.S. And and we study everything. I mean, we study college campus drinking, all sorts of high-risk drinking environments, risk factors, treatment system. But I was just, I was noticing that there wasn't really focus on this among the research field. But what I was noticing, and this sort of started for me, I was paying attention more pre-COVID around 2018, 2019. I started to notice articles in the lay press, you know, in the New York Times, the Atlantic, Huffington Post, other um, online outlets where women were talking about this and saying, you know, I... I was a part of this community. I was believing the messages. I was turning to wine at the end of the night after a hard day of parenting, and I developed a problem, and it really didn't work for me, and it's unhealthy. These messages were really unhealthy for me, and they were just rejecting this in these in these articles. And I was like, everybody's writing about this. You know, I'm noticing this again and again. Some of those same articles talked about the sober curious movement and sort of turning to that. Um, But I was like, wow, where's the research field? What are we doing? Um, And so I tried really hard to just, you know, I talked to everyone about it. I was trying to get people interested and I ended up pulling together a couple of colleagues where we first just wrote an editorial to one of the leading substance use journals saying it was really a call to research saying we need to do more to understand how these potential influences of you know social media mark alcohol marketing targeting women just sort of this pervasive messaging about turning to alcohol for mothers and if this is impacting women who are our moms or not, if this is changing the way they interact with alcohol, how much they drink or when and why, because we don't know. Um, so that's the first thing I did. And that uh, we were able to get published, I think, during you know the first year or so of COVID. Um, but since then, we did have a big study come out a couple months ago in the Journal of Addiction with colleagues um, at Columbia and, and Brandeis and elsewhere, um, which we're really excited about. It took us a long time to kind of figure out how to do this study. And what we did is um, I worked with a team at Columbia who uses data from this longitudinal study called Monitoring monitoring the future where you track people over their lifespan, starting with senior of high school. And we were able to look at for the past several decades, um, 
women who graduated from high school and then they're interviewed every couple years and then eventually every five years. And we were able to look at when and if they became parents and how that sort of was relating to their binge drinking behavior and their likelihood of having alcohol use disorder symptoms. So we could see over time if that's been changing over the past several decades and also if the change to becoming a a parent or a mother was affecting the way women were drinking. Um, And so what we found is actually that the groups at highest risk for um, binge drinking and alcohol use disorder symptoms are expanding. And what and those groups are essentially women um, without children are still at highest risk um, for binge drinking and alcohol use disorder symptoms. That, and we were looking at age 35. Um, however, women in both groups who have children and who don't are also just increasing over time. So today, Um, Women in general in middle age, what we're calling middle age, are at higher risk for binge drinking and alcohol use disorder. Um, And we really, we also noted that we have to really keep watching those trends because we don't know, you know, the younger millennial, younger 30s, women in their 20s, how they're going to keep aging into these, um, you know, what their drinking behaviors will be like um, and and if the transition to motherhood changes that or not. I'll say one more thing about that. I mean, I, I think traditionally the field has seen that when women transition to parenthood, become mothers, their drinking reduces. But my my interest in this topic and, and all of these influences on moms, I've been wondering, is that changing, right? Like, are is that transition not as protective anymore because there's so many influences encouraging moms to use alcohol and turn to alcohol now. And I think, you know, we just did one study. I think we have to keep looking at that because I think that is the very real question right now if things have changed for for moms. And so that's what you're, that's what you want to continue to study is what you're saying. I'd love to keep doing work in that space. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So is that the first, so that study was published, um, in this past summer, right? May, 2023. Um, yeah. And that was the first official study, you know, that shows the pattern or the way women have increased or the alcohol use disorder or sort of that gap between men and women that has sort of shrunk, I guess, because typically it's been what, that men have suffered more? So there's been more and more research coming out over the past five, 10 years that has shown that the gap between men and women and their drinking is closing. So essentially women are at their average drinking is escalating faster for women than it is for men. The same with alcohol use disorder and the same with alcohol related death. So women are middle-aged women are at much um the risk for that is increasing faster than for men. Men still have higher rates overall, but women are are at escalating risk. So that's something really important to keep watching. Um, I think what, what hasn't been studied much specifically is how women who are moms are um, incorporating messaging around mom wine culture or, you know, what they see on social media or TV or in their communities from other mothers, the pressures they may feel. Um, 
if that's impacting their alcohol use, because that's really tricky to study. It probably involves more qualitative research. So primary data collection, talking to people, interviewing women, doing focus groups. Um, it just requires creative study designs um, and also just all the marketing of, you know, alcohol products for women, all the seltzers, the low calorie seltzers, the low calorie wines, the pink drinks, all the alcohol popsicles, you know, there's all these things that, that are newer, um, that are really targeting women in general and kind of trying to find out how that's impacting women's drinking behaviors. Um, I think that, you know, you mentioned earlier that what brought sort of all this, um, to light for you was reading those articles in the New York times and the Atlantic and seeing women come forward and start to sort of tell their stories and, mm -hmm. Um, sort of, for lack of a better term, come out with their sobriety um, in these, you know, national, um, you know, publications. And I think that there, there's sort of been a movement, right? Um, a sobriety movement and um, trying to normalize, mm -hmm. um, you know, like the sober curious movement and trying to normalize and break down that stigma of having a problem with alcohol. And, and I think that speaks to what Ketsia and I have been doing and, and why we have this podcast and why we feel so passionate about telling our stories and in, in, in doing what we do, um, because that's, that is what it's about. That's, I think that there are so many people that, that see alcohol use disorder as, um, you know, something to be ashamed of, but for us, now we are living examples of a life, you know, that is so much better now that without alcohol in it. I think that there's a whole, there's a whole movement. Yeah, no, thank you. That's a great point. And I think that um, the field really needs work like that. And I would love to be a part of it. Um, I think there are, you know, that, 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 the notion of sober curious and what that means um, is a relatively newer term. And I think it is becoming more commonly under, you know, mainstream people hear about it. And um, we have, you know, dry January and sober September and these other sort of um, movements and the movement towards more non-alcoholic products that are becoming more commonly available all of these I see as really positive um, shifting of the norms and the culture to make it more a comfortable space for people to be able to reevaluate their relationship with alcohol and feel comfortable, um, you know, being someone who is not drinking or um, we're sober in, in, in this world that is really pretty focused on alcohol in a lot of settings we, we go to. So it's, 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 you're right. I think that, um, more research should be done on the sober curious movement, um, non-alcoholic products and sort of how people are choosing to use those or not. And, you know, what the barriers are, what their thoughts are, all of that would be really important for people to understand for the field to understand. Um, I think the marketing um, 
aspect is, is such a big one. And we don't talk about that enough on here. And, um, I know from personal experience, not just the marketing part, but the social media stuff. And you know, that, that is what the mommy wine culture really was to me. That's where it rep was represented to me was on Instagram. Okay. And, you know, I, um, played into all of those, you know, stereotypes, all the memes, um, mm -hmm. the glamorizing kind of aspect of it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think also though, but I think that a lot of women haven't reached the point where they realize that they're being marketed to in that way, you know, because it is still sold as a solution or like a uh, kind of a carefree sort of compliment to motherhood. Um, more so now, obviously, we're seeing the rise of uh, the counterculture of money, m mommy wine culture, where women are cluing into this. And I think at the same time, influencers on Instagram have played a big part in that. So you've got kind of these dueling sort of realities. But I think there are still a lot of women and maybe maybe it's by choice, too, where they deep down might feel that it is a little problematic but at the same time they don't know how to get out because i know that's how i felt like my eyes were kind of open to it towards the end and i was trying to get out but i just didn't i didn't know how to and everyone i surrounded myself with all the other moms were drinking and kind of doing the same thing so it was easy to turn my back on it but mm -hmm. you know 3 a.m when you wake up and you realize that um that you can't live with yourself. I think, you know, there's only so long that you can go on like that. So, yeah. I, I think you, you're exactly right that this is what's different about today is the social media piece. That's a big part. There are other influences that have shifted to and other risk factors that have changed for women, but um, social media didn't exist, um, you know, 15 years ago. So this, you know, I talked to some I do get a challenged in this work. You know, people have a lot of questions and they, um, this is a very personal topic and it raises a lot of emotions. And some people have said, you know, well, it's no different than decades ago. Mothers were always turning to alcohol or given alcohol or they used to smoke and they, you know, and really kind of downplaying that, that things might be different now. But I, I think that warrants investigation, first of all. And second of all, it's this, one of the big shifts is social media and the pressures that we face from um, the constant, the way we absorb information now is just a constant flow of things coming at us from all sorts of channels. And um, so there's a lot of messaging. You're right. And you get, in, you get in algorithms, right? So you're in an algorithm where things are being funneled to you. So you might not follow one of these specific sites yourself for mom wine culture, but the messaging of your peers and the advertisements that are put in front of you and the influencers who are promoting their own brand of alcohol, um, you know, you, you might still be getting all of that. Um, yeah. So I think that it's just pretty unknown um, in terms of how that's impacting women on a day to day. I'm oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, I was going to just say, I still get su suggested, like, follows, like, people to follow that are, yeah. like, 
you know, promoting mommy wine culture. There, it was like mom, mommy behaving badly or something was the account. And she literally was like pouring wine into like her Yeti. And that was like the, the thing. And it was like, you know, a suggested, I didn't even follow her. And I was like, how did they not know that I don't want to see that was so annoying. I swear, if like if I ever get suggested to follow like Molly Sims or something, I'm gonna be like, how does my algorithm not know? Like, yeah, I spend a lot of time talking about alcohol, but in the sense of like, you know, sobriety. Um, but yeah, it's it is there, and I think um, it's sometimes hard to because when it's glamorized, you just when you're in the trenches of motherhood, or like I'm in a newborn bubble right now, like things look appealing to me, not alcohol, but like, obviously I'm almost three years sober, but I could say like shopping, like online shopping. I'm like, Ooh, cause you're trying to fill a void, whatever it is that you're trying to feel. You're trying to feel like maybe like the person, the, the woman you were before you had kids, or maybe you're trying to feel like an elevated version of that. And, and social media is very good at portraying that you can have it all. So you can be up at two in the morning and four in the morning and whatever with your baby, but you can look amazing and you can drink a lot of wine and you can hold down a career in the future, you know? So it's like, it, none of that is accurate, but I think it is very enticing. And when you're tired and when you're, you know, spiritually worn out or whatever, I think it's easy to fall into that. So like Kim and I don't ever judge anyone who's still in that because it's it is hard it is really hard because it's a coping me mechanism and you're escaping and you're numbing yourself and mm -hmm. <laughs> the mindless scrolling while watching it is also a coping your you're numbing yourself while you're drinking i mean it's all intertwined right and um yeah it's now what am i <laughs> what are my unhealthy coping mechanisms it was so suzanne on sober mom life the other day was saying that her unhealthy coping mechanism is um binge watching bravo tv you know it's like <laughs> we all you know you all you, you escape in your own way and okay. alcohol was our way was my way of numbing and escaping for far too long and um you know that's what um i followed accounts on instagram i i hung out with friends that condoned it, that encouraged that kind of escape, that kind of numbing. Um, and, you know, it's, um, I'm grateful that I'm able to see that now, but, um, you know, I think that, yeah, there are people that don't even realize it, that they're in, that they have been sucked into this mommy wine culture and that they are part of it. Um, and I think just, uh, bringing it all to light and allowing people to recognize that it is a thing that it exists. And um, yeah, just trying to normalize, you know, not drinking and um, telling people that you don't have to have a problem to choose to not drink. And, you know, that's what Rachel, you and I have talked about um, with sober in the suburbs and um, all the other, you know, options out there just not you don't need to you don't need to have a rock bottom you don't need to you know wait till things get really bad you can just decide this isn't for me right and well i think um parenting is really hard right as you right. know as the other right now it's just like in it when you're in it with a newborn or when you have 
toddlers and all of all of the above. Um, and you do need support, right? We need support. We need coping mechanisms. And ideally, those could be coping mechanisms that are not going to introduce a lot of risk into our lives. And I think that drinking, I mean, there is evidence that drinking to cope is risky. So it, you're more likely to develop addiction if you're drinking to cope with stress or other, um, you know, trauma, grief. So it's a risky routine and then it's a, it's an addictive substance. So if you are turning routinely to alcohol, um, because you do need to cope with a lot of, um, you know, stress and sleep deprivation and, and all sorts of worries. It's, it's just a risky pattern. And, um, I think a lot of us just think we're, we all are taught to feel like we're invincible, that we can, you know, the problems will happen to other people, but I can, I'm strong enough that I'll be okay and I won't develop addiction, but it is an addictive substance. So I think when, you know, a helpful practice is just to start to think about like, am I, how often am I thinking about alcohol throughout my day? Am I starting to be thinking about it all the time? Am I craving it? Am I feeling like I can't wait till my kid goes to bed? Um, you know, those are all signals that, that, um, it, you may be on a pathway towards, towards problems and, and ideally, intervening the earlier we can sort of change that trajectory the better for people and um and that's where just this work that I'm that I'm doing with my colleagues we just really hope by in the work that you're doing by by bringing awareness to sober options and sober lifestyle and um just that there's there are other ways and there's there's other ways to to get support and feel fulfilled and supported and, um, and that there are real risks, right? So we see more women now developing, um, alcohol related liver disease who are in their younger thirties and forties than ever before. As I mentioned earlier, more, um, there's more alcohol related deaths happening for, for women. And, and so that the stakes are, are really high. I think this um, brings up an important important point too. Um, just going back a little bit is that I believe that anyone could benefit from the type of work that we do in sobriety um, in the context of a community because I was one of the reasons I started drinking was to cope, but I was also very lonely and very isolated, which comes along with motherhood or even just adulthood. Um, you know, you find that as you get older, well a lot of us, um, our group of friends gets smaller or we get more disparate, like we're not seeing people as often, people have their own lives. And I think doing the inner work that I've done since I've been in sobriety, I would have never done that if I hadn't had the problem in the first place. But also, I don't believe that, like Kim said, that you have to hit like a huge rock bottom where you almost die or whatever, you lose your family or something like that. I think you can just um, choose to examine your relationship with alcohol and be like, maybe I am turning to it um, more often than I care to. And in situations where I'm emotional or it's emotionally charged or um, I'm feeling sad or lonely. And I think those are all reasons um, that you could benefit from being in um, proximity to other women who are also examining their relationship and saying, hey, we still want to socialize and we still want to be part of a group and feel that we belong and be a part of something but without the alcohol. 
Mm-hmm. So I just, I just, it, it occurred to me then. I was like, you know, anyone could benefit, even just being sober and dealing with the people in our lives who aren't sober or who are acting in non-sober ways. You know, family or whatever is still triggering and stuff. And I just think to myself sometimes, like, oh, I wish so and so would be doing this, and you know, stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was my thought then. Um, Rachel, a lot of some people in the sober community hope that one day alcohol will be viewed as uh, sort of the way cigarettes are now and the way, you know, they're banned on airplanes and people look at them, you know, like it's it's sort of becoming a thing of the past in terms of cigarettes. Do you think someday maybe <laughs> will be or is big or is big alcohol too yeah. too uh <laughs> too much control i think there's more and more data coming out now and more and more evidence that hopefully is making its way into the mainstream that there are risks associated with even low level drinking and moderate drinking and that there's really no safe level of alcohol use, that even low level use has potential harm and increases risk for certain types of cancers and other health health consequences and, and injuries and things like that too. Um, so I think that is making its way slowly into, into the, the, you know, the media. And I think that you, you can't ignore these studies that are coming out showing increasing alcohol-related deaths and um, increasing alcohol-related liver disease and, and things like that. You, you can't ignore that. Um, and we also are in the midst of suicide crises and overdose crises in our country that um, really alcohol is a big piece of both of those crises. And I a lot of the work I do, I try to really illuminate that as well, bringing out um, how alcohol is involved in a lot of um, other types of deaths that we're not necessarily thinking about when we when we talk about the suicide crisis or the overdose crisis. Um, so I am, I, I think it's to be seen what happens, but I think that there are discussions, there are discussions in other countries about reducing what's considered the um, uh, average daily and weekly limits for alcohol, the recommended guidelines for drinking per week. Um, Other countries are reevaluating and thinking about having lower cut points for those. And we'll see what the United States does. Um, Because I, I think we don't, I think there's a misperception that those limits mean that it's safe to drink in those limits and that there's no potential harms. And I think what we know is that, that that's not necessarily true, that you, you are, it's a toxin and we're, you're increasing risk for certain adverse and health outcomes. Didn't Canada just come out this past year with a statement that said there's no, yeah. safe, can, like, no safe amount of alcohol? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I read something about Canada doing that work, and I think even in Ireland they were doing. Yeah, which is wild because the Irish is like yeah. a huge drinking culture. Um, I'm Canadian, and to me, the Canadian part doesn't surprise me as much as Irish. But um, but it, you're right; you do use those numbers as permission to kind of just <laughs> be like, "Well, nothing's going to happen." And I think the most shocking thing in the last year or so has been some of those articles and studies 
and just stats, I guess, about women and um, alcohol-related liver disease and deaths, like, I wouldn't, like, I just, and like, young women, younger than mm-hmm. me, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it, that just scares me, because I, I honestly think if I'd continued on the path that I was on, something would have happened to that effect. And uh, I just know a lot of people that I drank with and that um, I socialized with are still on that path. So it's just, it's, you're not invincible, you know. But then um, an article will be published saying, oh, one glass of wine a day is fine. And my just, dad used to drink a glass of wine, so, of red wine every day at dinner for a just, long time. And I've, and you know, the past couple of years since COVID, they started to say, you know, um, to talk about, uh, you know, like you were saying, increase in deaths and um, liver disease. But then another article was recently posted on, and, and I believe it was, uh, I saw it on uh, Fox News or something. And then it was being circulated and everyone's like, oh, we just took 10, 10 steps backwards and la, 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 um, So is that so frustrating, Rachel, for you to see those types of things when, um, you know, it's, they latch onto some archaic, like, mm-hmm. you know, research that doesn't have any basis and any whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think more, you know, I try to, I try to um, focus on the good studies coming out that are really providing more and more evidence of understanding that there is inherent risk in alcohol use. And I think that I see much more of that now than the opposite in terms of the research that's coming out internationally. And I think that um, that's becoming more common knowledge. So I think we're in, that's a, that's an important shift that probably that, that wasn't true 10 years ago. So I think, um, and you know, the more women can understand that we, we care a lot about breast cancer prevention in this country. Women get behind that cause a lot. And all of us know people who've experienced breast cancer, um, but alcohol is a risk factor, you know? So if we can make connections for women to understand, um, maybe that, maybe, you know, um, maybe that'll influence thinking a little bit or behaviors and people put things together in a way that they're not right now. Right. Talking about that risk factor that mm-hmm. someone that was never spoken about five, 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Positive outlook. I like it, Rachel. Glass half full. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Katia, do you have anything else to ask? Questions? No, I just find this really fascinating. Um, I'm just, I just want to talk to more people about it and spread i'm sure that's how you feel rachel you just want to like spread this um i don't want to call it news just spread all of this to people so that people are informed because i think with social media and with um you know the internet and stuff the way that it is we have the power to get this information to a lot of people um and those of us who do have platforms or audiences like i feel um a responsibility to do that and it and to show also that sobriety um and a sober lifestyle is fun still like i 
have a lot more fun now. Maybe not outward fun, always going and, you know, doing cool things at cool clubs or whatever, but that stuff actually wasn't that cool. And I did not feel good about myself and I was not um, living a long and healthy lifestyle. Now, like uh, I recently watched that um, Blue Zones documentary on Netflix and I had looked at some of Dan Buechner's work before that, but it was so interesting to see some of the components of what um, contributes to longevity for people and community is a big part of that. Also the way that we look at retirement here in North America, like is completely different. You know, people here retire and I know a lot of people who actually their drinking increased when they retired or they fell into problematic drinking because they didn't have um, an outlet for, you know, creativity, for inspiration, for community. So I think all those things, if we can, start doing that like you said Rachel younger and um get women into healthy habits you know in their 20s and and teens and stuff like that then we have a better chance of uh, prolonging that healthy lifestyle for them so I don't know I just I get excited about it and I want other people to get excited but I tell my husband about it all the time and he's just like well whatever I'm gonna die when I'm you know 65 I'm like okay great <laughs> thanks honey <laughs> No, he won't because he doesn't really drink. So <laughs> he doesn't drink at all, and I try to feed him really healthy. So I'm working behind the scenes to go get it. <laughs> but no, this has been excellent, yeah, Rachel. Rachel. I really appreciate. Do you have anything yeah. else to say, Rachel? Anything to add that we might have missed? I don't think so. I mean, I I'm excited to come talk to your group um, in a couple months, and yeah, I'm excited too. that this um, podcast is that you're doing this work and that, you know, the community you're building, I think, um, like you, I, yeah, this is really, it's a, it's a very rewarding piece of the work that I do. And I, I do a lot of really rewarding work. All my work is focused on substance use really. Um, and I think that the more we can talk about things and, and people can have honest conversations, we're reducing stigma. I guess that's the last thing. Yeah. It's just stigma is such a huge barrier mm-hmm. um, in all of this. And I think it, it, anything we can do to try to have more open, honest conversations and give women and adults and their families choices about living the kind of life they really want to live, that's super important. Yeah, you can come back anytime and talk to mm-hmm. our audience about any of this or any of your new work that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. If there's anything new, I definitely will let you know. And I, I mean, I have, you know, researchers, we get asked to review work a lot from other people for article journal articles. And there is more coming down the pipeline, I believe, in this space because I've been asked to review a bunch of things and people are starting to pay Ooh. attention. So. Great. Yes. Well, then you come back anytime when you have new info. We'll, we'll <laughs> have you back you. on. And Thanks. we'll link all your articles, your research articles in the show notes. And um, yeah, um, this is great. Thank you so much for coming and chatting. This is really Thanks, great. Rachel. Thanks for having me. It was really nice to meet you, Kezia. And um, you too. So much, Kim. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Rachel. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.